I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today we talk with Barbara Carnes. She's a hospice nurse, end-of-life educator, and the 2015 International Humanitarian Woman of the Year. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, you're welcome. I look forward to this. Well, tell me, as a nurse, how do you find your way to the death and dying industry? I started out as a volunteer nurse at a time when there was no Medicare and we didn't really know what we were doing. And I said that I would volunteer 20 hours a week. I felt to to get a feel for what end-of-life work was about, and that evolved four months later into being a staff nurse and a clinical director and eventually became the director of two different hospices. So how long do you think you've been in the death and dying industry or within hospice care? I started in 1981, That was when I started being the volunteer for four months, and I have been in hospice and grown with it and branched out into palliative care and all areas of end of life, and now I'm an educator. When you began to think about one of the books gone from my site, how did that evolve? I mean, we call it the little blue book, but how did that come to be? Well, one night, I got a dying call. It's probably 3 o'clock in the morning, and I'm sitting in the, fa- in the living room with a family, and Mom is in the bedroom actively dying days before death. And I'm instructing the family, I'm talking to them and telling them what's happening and what's going to happen. And as I'm doing this, I noticed that one of the daughters was taking notes. And I thought, oh my goodness, she shouldn't have to be sitting here taking notes. And so I went home and that weekend I sat down and wrote on a legal pad what I wanted to say to a family because knowledge reduces fear and I wanted families to understand there's a process. So I wrote it out in the way, a a gentle and yet direct manner. Just like that. In many languages and all over the world. So tell me the title, Gone From My Sight. Where did that come from? I was in um, a thrift store store in Kansas City, and there was a framed poem, and it was the poem by Henry Van Dyke that is in the back of Gone From My Sight. And I bought that, and when I was putting all this information together, I thought it would, it's such a comforting poem, I thought, I'll put that in the book too. And then when I was trying to figure out what to call it, I called it 
after the poem gone from my site. Tell me what is your website so the listeners can go download a copy of that point of It's www.gonefrommysite.com. Over the years, has the book changed? Well, it's interesting you say that because I just reread the book and I thought, oh my goodness, I would make this more comprehensive. You know, there's a lot in here about the process that's not in the book. And then I thought about it and I thought, no, because it's very short and people under duress, they don't have time or the energy to read a lot. So 13 pages is about all you can handle. It's got enough guidance so that the family can see that mom's doing what she's supposed to be doing. Nothing bad is happening here. This is normal. This is natural. And it's got the additional personal, gentle guidance in there to support this experience. So no, I'm not going to change it because I think it gives a person just enough of what they need at the time. I'll have to agree with you. I believe some of the comments that I have from some hospice patients and their families, especially their caregivers, is like, it's short, it's simple. And it's just to the point. But you have so many other things that you're offering. So tell me, what are you doing besides this little blue book? I have a companion to to Gone From My Sight called The Eleventh Hour. Gone From My Sight tells the family what's happening, where The Eleventh Hour guides them on things they can do and say in those days to hours to minutes before death. And that's the same large print, short, easy to read. So those two go together. I also have a booklet called A Time to Live, which is for the person that has been diagnosed with a life-threatening illness on how to live the best they can within the confines that their body and disease has put them in. And then I have a grief booklet called My Friend I Care, which is a guide to the normal grieving process to help people understand the emotional turmoil that they're going through that grief brings with it. And then I have a 25-minute DVD called New Rules for End-of-Life Care. Taking care of someone at end of life is different than taking care of someone who's going to get better, but most people don't know that. And so I want people to understand the new rules that apply to someone at end of life. But hospices around the country are using it to educate their staff, educate nursing facilities, hospital in-service education programs. But my whole focus is education is end-of-life education, as is yours. You know, people, everyone dies. Everyone's going to die someday, and yet most of us are so unprepared for that time when it comes for us or for someone that we love and care about, where if we know ahead of time what to expect, have our advanced directives in place, we will be better prepared and able to have a meaningful experience. You know, I'm sure you've seen people that weren't educated about what is about to occur and then those who are. What's the difference? For most people, they're not prepared. And so they're using this guideline of 
what we do medically for people who are going to get better. And so that often creates discomfort and suffering for the person that's dying because if we don't make our wishes known ahead of time on the kind of medical care we want at end of life, then you will die the way the medical professions want you to die. And most people want to be in at home in bed with their cat on the bed. You know, they don't want to be in a hospital hooked up to a ventilator and all of that. And so if we educate people ahead of time on choices that can be made, then they will have a better dying experience, a more comforted one. Do you think we are getting better at the dying process in the healthcare industry as as people are facing their own end of life. Do you think we are making improvements in the healthcare industry? Oh, that's that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. When I started in hospice in the early 80s, end of life was outside of the medical model. Hospice came to be because the needs of the dying were not being met in hospitals or in our medical model. Today, hospice has been absorbed into the medical model. And as a result of that, end-of-life care has become more medicalized. And I am uncomfortable with that. I think dying is not a medical event. It is a social communal event and that we need to focus on that. Yes, physically we deal with pain management, comfort management, and hospice is very good at that. But we have with Medicare hospice, it's become a lot about regulations and protocol. And in the midst of all that, the actual patient and family is getting less attention. That's my problem. I think you address an issue that hospices and hospice organizations sometimes scratch their head because the window of how you become a hospice patient and get these additional services because of the regulations, it's becoming smaller and smaller. Are we serving the the communities that we're in? Are we doing a disservice? I hope palliative care saves some aspects of what hospice originally intended to become. Well, I'm hoping that there is enough of us educating the community and if we can get people to say what they want, then the healthcare industry will follow through and provide what they want. I think that the community is an element to changing the healthcare system as well as physician behavior. When you have an individual as a a payer source you're treating and they're demanding certain things. That's how you change the healthcare system. And that's how the baby boomers did it in the birthing process. And I'm, I would, I'm hoping the baby boomers are going to do it in the death and dying process. What do you think? I hope so too. I hope so too. And that, and that's where our focus, you know, now we have end of life doulas. We have, as you said, palliative care We're we're, um, having much more of a conversation about end of life. 
And the more conversation we have about it, the more knowledge and the more awareness everyone is going to have. And with that, they're going to start speaking up and saying, here's what we want. And changes will be made. I hope so. Fear has been a part of the hospice industry for years. We all know it's our destination. Why do you think individuals fear death? I think that every single one of us are going to be afraid when it comes time to die because we haven't done it before. You know, no matter what your religious belief is, your spiritual belief, it's an unknown. And anytime we face the unknown, we're going to be at least frightened, if not downright terrified. So it's normal and natural to be frightened. What we look at is the degree of that fear. So that if we can teach the normal, natural dying process, and I say there's a process to dying, and people don't know that. Most people don't know it. What I want you to think about is there's really just two ways to die. You either die fast, you get hit by a truck, you have a heart attack, suicide, you're alive one minute or dead the next, or you die gradually. And gradual death is old age or disease, and that has a process to it. If it didn't have a process, if it just happened, it would be fast death. So in understanding the process that with disease occurs months before death comes, if the if everyone can understand that process, then you're going to get better end-of-life care because people will recognize, here's the process. It's three months, two months, and you don't put a number on how long someone has to live. The closest you can get is really months, weeks, days, hours, or minutes. But if we educate the community of the process, and here's three things that you look for, eating, sleeping, and withdrawal. When they see those occurring, they're going to reach out and get some hospice help, get some palliative care help, so that they don't have to have this experience alone, which will neutralize the fear that we all bring to the experience. Yes, I totally agree. You, you've seen a, a, a lot in the years you've worked in the healthcare system as a nurse, as a hospice nurse, end-of-life educator now, how do you want to die? Well, I told my family just the other day, actually, that we die the way we've lived, and we die according to our personality. I hope that someday I just drop over dead. A fast death would be ideal. It's harder on the family it's easier on the person dying. For the family, they don't have the opportunity to say goodbye. But my personality is such, I'm an A-type, can't sit still for a minute. So to be in bed for three months would just be intolerable. You know, even to be in bed for two days is intolerable. So hopefully I don't have to, to have that life experience. But if I do, then that's what it will be. It will be a life experience for me to learn from. Wow. You said a couple of things that resonated. I do believe people 
will die as they have lived. And I think that at the bedside of the dying and working with hospice care, I've learned more about life and how to live than I have about the dying process. Wrapping up, what are the top things that you would recommend to do? I would recommend that you live each day the best you can, that you do and say what you want to do and say every day, address any regrets that you have in life. You know, life is a terminal illness where we really start dying from the minute we're born. It's just that someone in an unhealthy body is reminded every day that they're not going to live forever. And so they have been given a gift, and that's a gift of time. And so look how you want to use that time and use it wisely. So often when we've been told we can't be fixed or we're having difficulty, the doctors are having difficulty being fixed, um, we sit down in our favorite recliner and we might as well have died because we stopped living. And um, my advice is to live each day the best that you can because you've been given a gift. Um, Use it. I think that's great advice. Can families go on your website and just buy one Gone From My Site book? How does the individual get um, this information? You can go to my website and buy one book or a thousand books. It's all there. My purpose is to educate. And it's not about selling a thousand books. It's about selling that one book to the person that needs it for the patient a time to live for the family. If you're going to buy Gone from my site, buy the 11th hour also. You need those two together. And, of course, the DVD at 25 minutes will help you understand the rules for end-of-life care, pain management, comfort management. So, yes, one you can buy one book or many. It's up to you. That is great. Barbara? Thank you so much for joining us. Your book has changed my organization, but also changed my family and educated us about the process. And I cannot tell you what your work has done for me personally and professionally. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Kimberly. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.